I, I thought I'd share with you a little bit tonight. Um, the, the team asked me to kind of work through this issue of um, what to do when you're visiting in the hospital, visiting your care receiver in the hospital. So let me give you a little background, and then we'll kind of wade into it. And I'm, I'm really anxious to hear what you've got to say, too. So, uh, but let me give you a little bit of background. Um, I, I do everything backwards. Everything. You know, I, I make 17,000 mistakes, and then I decide to figure out what it was that I was supposed to do to start with. Well, first of all, uh, uh, Rhonda and I got married in, on a Friday night in a beach town in Florida in 1977. And I started my first church job on Monday morning. Is that stupid? <laughs> I've been paying for that for 37 years. Uh, yeah, just, you know, and so I can track how long I've been doing ministry and how long I've been married, you know, kind of together. And, uh, but, but this particular summer I was working, I was not quite finished with school and and uh, we had relocated in Florida, and, and um, I um, uh, worked as kind of an intern, um, paid during the summer, full-time for not much pay, but you know how that goes. And the, about mid-July, after I'd been at this about five or six weeks, the pastor decided he was going to take two weeks off. And uh, so he, his, in, in his uh, really, I was heavily trained to do this kind of work, uh, had no idea what was what was going on? All I knew was he handed me a list of people that I needed to go see in the hospital, and said, "Go see these people while I'm gone." Now, my mind went back to uh, the last time that I remembered, at least, visiting anybody in the hospital. I was uh, like 15, 16 years old, and I passed out. <laughs> so I <laughs> had a little bit. A little bit of fear and trepidation going, I literally, like a hammer, I woke up uh, on a gurney in the hallway. And um, uh, so it was kind of like, the, you know, the role was reversed and all that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do. I don't know where the hospital is in the town where I'm, I'm working, because it wasn't my hometown. And I don't know where it is. I don't know what to do when I get there. I had just gotten married uh, six weeks before, as I said. I was 21 years old, but I looked like 14. And... Um, so the only thing I knew to do, Jim, was to load up the biggest Bible that I owned and stick it under my arm and uh, figure they would maybe figure out that I might be a pastor. So I don't know. So I, I went in and just kind of felt my way. Never been in, hadn't been in the hospital in years and certainly never been in this hospital. And so it was really my training, and Larry, you've probably heard me tell this, but my training at doing hospital work was literally sink or swim. I think it's way more important than that, don't you? I really do. I, it's so much of my life has been sink or swim, and half the time I'm sinking, not swimming. But, but so much of my life has been this sink or swim deal. And so part of what I've given the last several years of my life to is making sure that other people don't have to do that kind of sink or swim thing. Um, uh, I, I really feel, and, and we trained... Uh, Larry, at the time that you were going through the practicum project, um, we were training several pastors in, in the Oklahoma City area. I think you were in, in training with some of those guys. And what I recognized is that a lot of people who will say, a lot of people in full-time ministry who will just say, uh, I don't really do hospitals, it's because they've just never been 
trained. They've never had somebody say, here's what you do and here's what you don't do. And so we're going to work on some of that tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to watch Sandy Brooks's face to see if I get it right because she works in the hospital. But, um, but you know what I mean? I, I, I think a lot of us would feel a lot more okay with it and the opportunity, which is immense, if we kind of knew what we were doing as we went in. So one of the things I think we're dealing with tonight is... Um, is the fact that your care receiver may end up being hospitalized at one time or another. Maybe, maybe that was the precipitating event that caused your, um, um, your referral. And uh, we just kind of want to talk a little bit through this so that um, maybe you'll feel a little more comfortable uh, going in and out of there. Now, my work here at, at uh, Crossings uh, had a lot. It, I, I didn't just do pastoral care, but, but I did a lot of that while I was here and uh, helped train some other folks to do it. And uh, so, um, so when I left here, it was really interesting because I kind of knew my way around all the hospitals around here while I was here. And so my current boss, uh, the president of the MACU, had forged a, a relationship with a friend of mine who was a CEO at a local hospital. And, um, uh, and they both came to me and said, uh, we want to do this partnership between the school and the hospital uh, where we train ministry student, the, the, the CEO of the hospital really had uh, in his mind that he wanted more of a Christian presence in his secular hospital. Uh, it was pretty amazing. Uh, he had kind of been through, had read through the uh, purpose-driven life and had read through the purpose-driven church. And he came to me and said, Steve, how would we do a purpose-driven hospital? And I thought, what, a, what an incredible thought. And so he begins to talk to the president of our institution and uh, while I'm still on staff here, and they said, we want to do this thing where we want to increase the, path, the kind of the Christian presence in our hospital. And, um, and uh, our president says, well, we want to have an opportunity for all our students that are going into ministry to have hands-on experience in doing uh, pastoral care, listening to people's problems, praying for them, that kind of thing. So let's forge this partnership. Well, they did, and then they came after me and said, would you start it? So that happened 11 years ago this January, and um, I read some stats the other day. By the way, Justin Key is not able to be here. He's part of us, went through this training, part of this church. Justin's the guy we handed it off to uh, about three years ago. Justin was in the very first training class of that practicum experience uh, since I've been involved in this, and now that Justin's taken it over, doing a much better job of it than I was, we've, we've trained about 220 students in how to do this kind of work. Um, we've, they have made something like 22,275 contacts in that 11 years in, in a couple of different hospitals. We're at uh, Midwest Regional Hospital, which is where we started, and we're also at OU Medical Center, which... Uh, wore Larry out back in the day when you did that training. And we walked a lot of miles in those days with my pal. But um, uh, so I, I think that as a result of kind of going through all this, what I've come to the realization of is that if you're a person who kind of initially would say, I, I just kind of don't do hospitals, you know, people are sick there. <laughs> I really believe that people can be trained to do this kind of work, regardless of kind of your temperament or, or your turning, you know, and, and kind of your personality. And, um, and so um, um, 
Anyway, the truth is, all of what we were going to, what we would ask you to do in the hospital, is what you've been trained to do already as a student minister. So it's basically just taking that outside of a living room or a restaurant or a coffee shop, and doing the same kind of work uh, with a person who's going through something a little more intense in the hospital. Now. How many of you have been hospitalized at one time or another as an adult? I figured many of us. Looks like most of the folks in the room. Um, I swear I'd like you to arrange your table for the next five, minute, five or a little, little more minutes, okay? I want you to share. Think about that experience. And I want you to share with one another at least one memory of an experience or a family member's experience uh, from being in the hospital, okay? Just around your table, at least one memory, one experience that you had while you were either in a, a patient in the hospital or somebody close to you was, okay? Scott, can I, can I steal yours? He nearly got engaged while his mother was a patient in the hospital. That's a pretty good deal. Um, met his wife while his mother was a patient in the hospital. Okay. Uh, okay, would you do that around your table just a little bit? All right. An experience you had while in the hospital or while a, a family member or somebody close to you was in the hospital. Okay. What'd you learn? What'd you learn about the whole being in the hospital experience? Anybody, come on. Times have changed. Yeah, they have. Um, and some of that for the good and some of that for the not so good, but yeah. What'd you learn? Yes? You know, I, I really think that's true. And, and why not? You know, I think about um, how you may be, your relationship with the care receiver or where they've gotten to has kind of been stuck. This may be one of those things that unsticks some things as much as you wouldn't want it or wouldn't wish it on them, but it causes people to consider seriously kind of their lives and what they're going through, okay? Somebody else, what'd you learn? We learned at our table how bad it is if they don't care. Nobody cares and they've experienced something more. I think that would be tragic. Uh, this church really makes this church. this church really makes a sincere effort at that. You know, it, I mean, basically, we'll say, you know, those person we can't do anything for is the one we don't hear about, and uh, and sometimes we don't hear about it. But uh, yeah, how tragic if no one does check, especially someone who is to providing spiritual care like you do. Yeah. Okay. Anybody else? What did you learn? Somebody you know, it's, it's very, very comforting. Okay. Of course, what I've had to do over the last 11 years is try to help make contacts with those that, know, that we don't know. But it still can be comforting, Sandy. And so if you don't feel like you're uh, necessarily, you know, your care receiver's best friend, of course, that's not your role. It still could be a really, really good thing. Not really the possibility. I saw a hand over here. 
Yeah. Yeah. At age 10. Yeah. It sure can be. Wow. Well, how long ago was that? Was that? How long ago was that? Okay. Funny, isn't it? And I didn't run them off. That's the startling part. Just love being a part of this church, you know. What else did you learn? of paper if you've got one handy. If not, make a mental note as we're going through. I'm going to read you just a couple of pages of a scenario, okay? And I want you to mark, write down or mark mentally, um, feelings of words, okay? And things that, that you might now become aware of if you're visiting this person as your care receiver, all right? Imagine yourself a reliant, confident person who goes to the doctor because of some minor complaints that just won't go away. After an examination, the doctor tells you to go across the street for some lab work. After dutifully giving blood and having x-rays, the technician tells you to go home and wait for the doctor to call with the results. The waiting game begins. Two days later, the nurse from your doctor's office calls to tell you that the doctor would like further tests. You begin feeling a little anxious, and you ask, is there a problem? The nurse gives some noncommittal answer and tells you where to go and what tests must be done. The waiting game continues. The day after your second battery of tests, the nurse calls and says the doctor would like to see you in his office. You nervously sit and wait for your name to be called. Finally, after what seems like hours, you're escorted to the doctor's office. There seems to be a small growth on your lung. I'd like, to have you, uh, I'd like you to have surgery to see if we can remove it. How soon can you be at the hospital? All kinds of questions come to mind, but you're too shocked at the news to ask them. The last week of waiting has been emotionally tedious. You mumble something about Thursday being fine. More waiting. Wednesday night before entering the hospital, your sleep is interrupted with bad dreams. You wake often and look at the clock. Thursday morning arrives. Walking into the hospital, you immediately feel invasion of privacy as the person at the admittance desk, asks personal questions regarding your age, your marital status, number of children, religious affiliation, employer, insurance company, finances, next of kin, and countless other questions. 
Then you're directed to a room where your clothes are hung in a small closet and you're asked to put on a rather drab and immodest-looking gown. People, mostly strangers, come and go at will, at their will, not yours. Your body is invaded by needles and tubes. Hours before the surgery is scheduled, the doctor decides an additional test is needed. You wait for the tests. You wait for the test results. Seldom does any of this happen on schedule as planned. In the meantime, you're sharing a room with one or more strangers who may be in pain and moaning. This adds a whole other dimension. They may want to talk when you feel like resting. They may watch television all night and play the radio too loudly. They may soil their beds often and foul the room with bad odors. Their visitors may come too often, too many, and be too loud. Or you may be in a room all by yourself where there is no one with whom to talk or compare experiences. Feelings of isolation begin to creep in on you. Surgery is delayed until the last test results can be studied. You eat when food is served rather than when you're hungry. Sometimes you're not allowed to eat at all. Your sleep is interrupted by nurses giving you pills, checking your blood pressure, taking your temperature, asking if you're asleep. Visitors may be limited by certain hours or in certain numbers. Your diet and fluid intake may be restricted. You may be even told when and how you can go to the bathroom. There may be limited times when you can bathe or shower, and it's in a bathroom where the faucets look and feel really odd. The medical staff discusses your condition using words and terminology and abbreviations that sound like a foreign language. Procedures are performed for purposes that you sometimes don't understand. You begin to feel intimidated by the whole hospital atmosphere. As you wait for test results in the ensuing surgery, you begin to imagine the worst. What if you have to change your lifestyle? What if you lose a body part? Will your employer hold your job open if you have to be hospitalized for weeks? How will you pay for all your bills if you can't work? How will your spouse react? Who will take care of the kids? How will you need to go to, uh, will you need to go to a convalescent hospital afterward until you can manage at home? Your future suddenly becomes uncertain. Fears and anxieties begin to take over that part of you that was once confident and steadfast. You're in a crisis, as is your whole network of close family friends. What feelings did you hear? Fear? Anxiety? Nervousness? Help me? Intimidation? Shock? I'm sorry? Lack out of control. Lack of control. I heard another one here. Isolation. Irritation. It is irritating, isn't it? Yeah. Keep going. Insecurity. Insecurity. Like a science project instead of a human. Yeah, there you go. Like a pin cushion, science project instead of a human. Okay. Anybody else? I, I think we could probably, if we spent long enough, we could come up with a hundred feelings words in that one little story. Now, here's where your skill and your training in developing empathy comes in. That's the experience, a similar experience of that. Different diagnosis, different prognosis, different issues. But a similar experience is what those people that you will see as a care receiver in the hospital are going through. Something kind of like that. Now, what I want us to talk about is where you come in. Okay? Um, One of the things that you and I might 
work on if our care receiver is going into the hospital is working on a little bit up front of helping them to um, anticipate how this might be. How would I do that? So I can ask, how's that going to go? What are you thinking about? What do you expect to take place? Okay. How are you feeling about all that? Keep going. Would it be fair to ask my care receiver, how do you feel about hospitals? Have you been in the hospital before? How'd that go? Okay. You get the idea? I'm helping them prep for the unknown, or I might be helping them mitigate some of the known from a previous experience that I want to be sure that they don't automatically assume is going to happen this time around, okay? So I'm helping them prepare for this. Um, um, What are your biggest concerns about going into the hospital? Okay, now I'm going to give you some questions that you can use to ask uh, when you're there. But I thought we might just start this evening brainstorming a little bit in that way. How to start talking about, you, you're with your care receiver, uh, they've had kind of health problems, been going kind of up and down, and in your visit with them this week, they say to you, well, looks like I'm going to have to have some surgery. Now, by the way, if you're me, okay, and you need to be, in this case, a little like me, and I know that's scary, okay, but if you're me, you're getting ready to get into fact-finding mode right here, okay? Because there's stuff you need to know. What do you need to know after your care receiver says, I'm going to the hospital? Is okay. That's a little bit outside of your covenant to care, but if they have no one, it may and you can do that. It may fit you. So I'm going to ask them if you got somebody that's going to take you, all those kinds of things. All right? I heard another one here. When? Okay, when's surgery scheduled? Now, that's a tricky question. Why? Well, they may not know. And, and, and actually, Deborah, I've, I've been able to coach people when I'm trying to find out on questions to ask the doctor or the hospital next time they talk to them. When may be it's next Tuesday but they don't know what time of day and where to go. And, and so I'm saying, okay, ask them these things, all right? Ask them, what time do I need to be there? But what time is actual surgery? Why do I want to know that? If I'm going to try to be there, pray with them before surgery, which I'd like to do, or if somebody from the church is going to do that, they're going to need to know some times. Um, I showed up at the Spine Hospital a week ago today at 6, okay, <laughs> for a surgery that never happened, all right. But I had a great visit with the patient's wife um, while, while we were waiting to find out that the patient would not be cut on. Uh, but, but when I originally asked the question, what time are you going to be there? It was like 4 o'clock. 
I didn't, I didn't figure too many surgeons around here are going to do surgery at 4 a.m. And so literally, they had to be there kind of early, 4, 4.30, something like that. And they did all kinds of prep work for a while. And then so when I got there at, at 6-ish, um, you know, it was really kind of a, a, a right time. So you're going to have to kind of judge those things according to, uh, if i got to be here at 9 o'clock in the morning and they're saying surgery is scheduled at 11, then I'm probably going to want to be there at 10 or so. Otherwise, I'm just going to be sitting there for an hour, waiting, waiting to kind of find out something. Okay? So I'm going to ask some of those questions. What else, after your care receiver has said, I'm going in the hospital for some surgery, what else do you want to ask? That might help them. Yeah. How long do you think it'll last? How long will you be in the hospital? How long are they saying you're going to be in the hospital? They might not know the answers to these things, but at least we're kind of getting them ready for what's coming. Okay? Jim, we won't repeat the conversation you and I had over lunch the other day. And some of that's not... I would not want him coming to see me in the hospital. I'll tell you that. Actually, I would. Yes, go ahead. Yeah. By the way, in every visit you have your care receiver, that's a great question. Uh, let me tell you what we learned over 23,000 visits. What we learned is we may be on the cancer floor visiting a patient that's got lung cancer, and, and a student may assume that the, the, they need to pray for the person's healing for cancer or for the feelings they're dealing with over cancer or their pain, all those kind of things. And those are true. But what we found over the years, over all this time, is that it's, the thing that is kind of obviously wrong may not be number one on the list. How can I pray for you helps us uncover that. What would you, how would you like me to pray for you? And they might say, you know, I found out that through this experience that my son is coming to town. I haven't seen him for 10 years. I, I, by the way, I've had that conversation. I haven't seen him for 10 years. He's far from God. Would you pray for him? Isn't that amazing? That All because I ask your question, you know? Okay. Okay, now think here. Continue to think about what I'm going to do to prepare, questions I'm going to ask. Now, it's the day of surgery, day after surgery, whatever. You're going for the first time maybe to visit your, your uh, care receiver in the hospital. What do you need to know as you walk in the door? I'm sorry? Well, you might want to know that, although I've, I've had a lot of great conversations with people that I'm the only one talking. Yeah. I slept through a lot of the visits. I bet it. Same thing happens in Sunday school, Mary, so that's okay. Uh, not with you, but with my Sunday school people. What, what do I need to prep for? Okay, here's, I, I know this seems really, um, might seem really elementary, but, okay, you ready for this? You need to know their name. Okay, you really do need to know their name. Okay, why? Okay, because if you go to Mercy Hospital, like a friend of mine did, to see Bill Hayes, you'll never find him. You'll never find him, because that's not his name. 
He lives under an alias. Okay? You can ask him. Okay? My dad's name was Buzz. That wasn't on his birth certificate. And the only way I could find a room number to go see him was to know his real name. People were first, and now under HIPAA law, which is another deal, uh, it's worse and worse. I literally have stood, I've driven across town to see a person that I knew was in their institution, and I stood at the receptionist's desk and argued with the receptionist for 10 minutes saying, I know they're here, yep, but you don't have their name, and they couldn't tell me, could not tell me. It's, it's just the strangest thing ever. So, in other words, what you're going to have to ask is several things uh, like, okay, what's your room number? Okay, uh, I want to be sure if your name is Mary Dyer that your real name isn't Wanda Mary Dyer because I'm going to look for Wanda, okay? Mary's your name, Wanda. Okay, <laughs> just, just check it. Phyllis, okay? My, my mother-in-law goes by June, but that's her middle name. Her first name is Wanda. And I would have to know that to get her room number so that I can even go see my care receiver. Now, what I'm trying to do is just save you a little bit of frustration when you get there. Larry, am I right? Okay. Now, Larry, when he was working with me, had a list and had all the names and all the diagnosis codes and the patient numbers. It's not that easy once you start working at crossings, is it? You got to know where they are. And by the way, if your care, if the church doesn't know, they need to know. Okay, your care receiver is part of crossings. You're going to ask for permission to let them know and call Lance's office. Let them know. Uh, call Sharon. Let her know. But they're also going to be a repository for some of that information, and it would be helpful whatever you have to share with them, so that they know. Okay, now let's talk about a few do's and don'ts. I want to talk about the do's first, and then we'll deal with some of the don'ts, okay? Okay, first of all, I said get enough information. You're going to have to have enough information to get you in the door. That just seems incredibly simple, but it's so true. All right, second, I'm going to walk into a person's room as if I'm visiting in someone's bedroom. What does that mean, Patty? You, you, you said it. I'm going to knock. Now, by the way, most hospital doors are really thick, and I'm really hard of hearing. I never can hear them say, come in. So I'm going to do that as kind of I'm opening the door. Okay, but I'm opening the door. Everybody, you know, and I'm going to say, uh, it's Steve or what. I'm going to identify myself in some way, but I'm going to knock on the door just like I was visiting you at home. All right. Remember, in our little story, they've lost a lot of that. People are coming and going without knocking on the door sometimes. People are coming and going at their will, not mine. And you and I are going to be different. We're there just to give back. We don't want anything. We just want to help. Okay? All right. Now, to touch or not to touch, what do you think in our age of all kinds of Viri, is that the plural, viruses, <laughs> virus? Depends. Depends. Okay, tell us about that, Deborah. Um, why they're there. Okay. Um, what if you don't know? If they're curious if you probably know something. Okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Okay. Um, you know, because some conditions, they're more susceptible, 
Okay. Right. Walk up to the door. The door is probably going to tell you some of that. It's going to say contact precautions. It's going to say check at the nurse's station. And you want to do that for your patient, for your care receiver's um, a benefit and for your own. Okay. All the time. Okay. Coming and going. Now, let me ask this question. I wrote this in my notes earlier today. If I walked into your room, okay, and I washed my hands with that stuff on the way in, how would that make you feel? Good or bad? It should, because I'm not bringing somebody else's germs in or my own in your room, right? How does it make you feel if I do that on the way out? It could, you know. I may want to go down the hall and do that, Sally. But it's, it's necessary as I go in and as I leave, as I come in the hospital and as I walk out the hospital, okay? Hospitals are places where lots of stuff grow, okay? So I'm going to hit that thing the minute I walk in the door and wash my hands thoroughly with it. I may go to the restroom and do the same thing. And I'm going to do it again as I walk right after I do this, okay? And then I'm going to do it as I walk out of your room as well. Precaution for you, precaution for them. Uh, there is um, there's a precaution that we kind of need to be aware of. Um, that many people that you may go see, might go see, um, especially if you're visiting a cancer patient and they're on some kind of a, um, a cancer drug, may become what is kind of known as being neutropenic, which just means their, uh, their immune system is really compromised. So any bug that you bring in on your hands could be devastating. When my mother was really struggling with cancer, a friend, um, a friend um, from church came to visit with a cold, and it almost killed her. And I was so angry, you know. So be aware of those things. Um, and uh, it may be that you'll have to do some telecare in the, in the, in the meantime um, if, if you're ill. Now, um, so the, the answer to that is I want to be very careful with that, but I also want to recognize the healing power of touch. Jesus always touched. When my wife was in nursing school, she... Uh, um, uh, it was kind of in the early days of the, the AIDS ep epidemic, and and so they were they were really driving this thing home. And I remember she got really worried about, am I ever going to touch a patient without gloves on? And there was a lady in our church in in Kentucky at that time who had been a nurse for a lot of years, and she was talking this over with Helen. And Helen said, Rhonda, if you're going to be good at this, you're going to have to get over your fear of touching people. And I'll just leave that to you to ruminate on a little bit. Um, I want to be very careful, but I also not don't want to be afraid to touch. Okay? Now, um, take cues from the patient, from your care receiver, on how long to stay. What do you think would be an appropriate time? Yeah, 10 to 15 minutes. Depends on your relationship. Depends on how they're doing. Okay? 
Um, I, I want to be sure that I'm not just standing at the end of the bed. I might, because of my relationship with them as a Stephen minister, I might want to pull up a chair and sit down for a few minutes. That delivers a message as well, by the way. I'm here for as long as you need me. Can you see how the difference between me standing at the end of the bed and saying, how is it over there? <laughs> to at bedside saying, okay, so how's it going? How's your pain today? Okay, it's a, It delivers a different message. Okay, Sandy, I'm not picking on your profession. But they're not going to probably get that from most of anybody else professionally who comes in to see them. Just don't have time. I'm sorry? Yep, it will vary. Sure. Sure, absolutely. And, uh, but, but I want them to know from my side of the, of the equation that I'm here for as long as you need me, within reason, okay? All right, now, Casey, let's go to your question and deal with it for a little bit. Um, uh, and I'm going to jump to a don't, okay, uh, just so that you can, so I make sure that we deal with it. One of the things that I think it's really key that I don't do is criticize, okay? Um, maybe you've got all kinds of medical knowledge, okay? And you walk in and you can, they've told you about the symptoms they're having, they've told you about all this stuff they're going through, and uh, then they tell you what the doctor is getting ready to do, and you want to say, uh, you need to fire this guy and go down the street. That is not going to be therapeutic, okay? And that's not your role. You're not, there's a medical, here's where it's going to be difficult, because you're not in the room. Even if you are a medical professional, Steve, you're not there as a medical professional. That makes sense? And that's a really hard line to draw. You know, um, what goes along with it is um, saying, okay, so who's your doctor? Who's your surgeon? And they tell you, and you want to go, oh, no. <laughs> Dr. Death, you know I mean? You, yeah. You, you just don't want to go there, even though you want to go there, right? So no criticism. Now, now what, what Casey's dealing with is her care receiver has had like this malpractice thing going on, okay? And so there's all kinds of suffering at the hands of a previous, so this is a new doc now, okay? Yeah. But the idea here is, how is she to care now after all this water's under the bridge for her care receiver? My answer to her is, you go back to your training. Be assertive. Listen. Okay, tell me what they're saying exactly. What does that mean to you? What other kind of care are you getting? I'm going right back to all that reflective listening that you've done. You can't fix this, Casey. As sad as that is, you can't fix it. But what I can't, you remember uh, process-oriented oriented caring? I need to concentrate on what I can do while I'm right there. What I can do while I'm here. 
not what someone else needs to do or should have done, etc. Okay? But I need to care for you in the moment. And sometimes pulling that chair up is really key to caring for you in that moment. Letting you know I'm here for as long as it takes. And then listening. I've got to use your case to teach another issue here that I, it, it's interesting. I sent a couple of young ladies to see a woman who had just um, uh, had a leg amputated like earlier that day or the day before, and she was alert, and her sister was in there with her. And, and uh, when, when these two pastoral students went in to visit this lady, the, uh, the sister came out and I started talking to her and um, kind of found out some of the stuff that was going on. And, uh, and, you know, they were dealing with, she was diabetic, they were dealing with amputation and, and um, with some of the other medical things that go, go along with it. But, but th- when, when the two uh, students came to report that day, I said, did you ask her about the leg? Well, no. No. Why not? Because. Why would we ask her about the leg? Because that was what was on her mind. Oh, yeah. But sometimes I get to the emotional through the physical. You know, in other words, how's this going? I sometimes ignore the most obvious things. Okay, I'm, I'm goofy at this point, so I, I, I really want you to understand that. But what I recognize is that sometimes we can get a little deeper because I don't ignore the obvious. Okay, the elephant in the room. Now, um, what if the doctor comes in? What if Sandy comes in? What if the nurse comes in? What do you do? Exactly. You excuse yourself from the room. Now, how I would do that is to say something like, um, why don't you guys let me step out of the room? Don't be surprised if you have forged a a relationship with your care receiver. Don't be surprised if the care receiver says, no, I'd really like you to stay and help me process this. Okay? You're going to have to decide if you're comfortable with that. But that's especially in the light of HIPAA and all those things. Uh, I've had the doctor ask me to stay. Okay, you might as well. Um, so, but I think I want to offer. To, yep, sure, they will. Say, yeah, get. They'll say, give us a minute, or I'll come get you when we're done, or something like that. Okay, or they might say, no, it's okay. I'd prefer you stay right here. Um, what I find is when I've been in that position, sometimes, especially if there's no other family in the room, sometimes it helps the care receiver to process the information they're getting ready to get. Remember in our little story, some of the stuff they got was shocking, and they, you know, I had a little thing go on back in, in uh, November, and I remember after one thing the doctor told me, I don't remember anything else he said. You know, and I do this stuff. But I couldn't remember the questions I asked. It was because I, I was shocked. So, okay, so it might help. Just be aware of that. And then when, when the doctor leaves or when the medical professional leaves, you can say, okay, tell me what you think they said. Let's talk about what, let's process some of that if they want to, okay? Okay.
So beware of that. Now, observe some things in the room. What kinds of things am I going to look for? I'm going to look for signs in the room that are going to give me tip-offs to certain things. For instance, there may be a sign behind the bed or on an arm band that says, and it's usually pretty prominently displayed, might be on the door that says fall risk. What does that mean? That means we're not going to take a walk down the hall without a nurse or somebody there. It means that if they say to you, uh, I want to get up and sit in this chair, what are you going to do? Going to call a nurse. Don't do that. Hang on a minute. Let me go get somebody. Okay. Don't you do it. You're not trained to do that. Maybe you are, but don't do it anyway. Okay. Go get somebody. Okay. Just be observant of that. Uh, Jim, can I throw you into the bus? person was having some kind of respiratory problem, right? And you stepped on their oxygen tube, didn't you? It, it was alarm city. Yeah. Kind of want to be, I knew you could handle that. Yep. Watch your feet. Look what's around. Yeah. Do those kind of things. Do you sit on the bed? No. What if they ask you to? Hmm, that's interesting. You know, but no, unless they, if they ask you to, you know, if I'm visiting a 90 year old woman and she says, here, sit here with me where I hear you better, I'm probably going to do it. Okay. But I'm not going to assume that and I'm not going to do it on my own. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Um, the best question I'd kind of come up with to ask in this is something like, um, however you would phrase a question, to ask for an update, okay? We kind of uh, we kind of get reacquainted for a minute. Okay, tell me what they're telling you. Okay, give me an update. What's your doctor said today? Well, I haven't seen the doctor today. What did he tell you yesterday? How you feeling? How are you processing all that? So I'm asking in in so many words, and you can put it in your own words for an update. Okay, what are they telling you? A lot of times. Um, boy, I found this out with my own parents. But a lot of times, people have real trouble processing medical information. It's not like I'm in a medical repository. It's just like, okay, let's talk about what they said. What, is that, what do you think that means? Okay, I'm going to ask things like, as I mentioned before, how long uh, you think before they're going to let you go home, those kinds of things. I'm going to sit close so we can hear one another. So I can see your facial expressions. You can see mine. I'm going to ask if I can help. Just like some of our other training in telecare and other things, I'm going to place myself in the room where I'll be least distracted. And you're going to have to determine that. Okay? For me, I have to, I have to position myself away from the door or the window in the door. Because people going by, you know, I'm just ADD. Okay, squirrel. You know, I mean. Uh, okay. So I'm going to have to position myself in a place where I can really zero in on you. Yes. Okay, that's a tough deal. And uh, what would you do? I'm going to treat it just the same way. I'm going to introduce myself. Hey, and by the way, this is where confidentiality is really hard to guard. And I might just say, I'm a friend from the church. If she or he introduce you then as their Stephen minister, that's their prerogative. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
just excuse myself for a minute and say, you know what, I don't interrupt what's going on here. I just want to see how you're doing, anything you need, and I'll make a brief visit. I might offer prayer, okay? And then I'm going to excuse myself, all right? Although, your care receiver may say, can you stay for a little bit, despite 10 people in the room? Just be aware of that. Be aware of that. They've been looking for you. They've been wanting to see you. Uh, five or six years ago, I went to see a, a person from the church uh, who is just a dear, dear older friend. And um, uh, I had been getting all the, all the news from the church that this person, uh, it was a strictly no visitors thing, so I assumed nothing. I didn't go. And I didn't go. And I didn't go. And uh, somebody called me, I guess from here, or maybe somebody in the family said, Hey, he's wondering why you haven't been to see him. So, uh, so I did, and I cleared it with the church first and went to see him. And uh, the first thing this good friend said as I walked in the door is, where have you been? Okay. They may be looking for you. Okay. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly end this because Gail's got to get us to small group. Let me give you another couple of don'ts. I said, I said already, don't criticize the hospital or the doctor. Don't give medical advice. Okay, don't react negatively. Don't look at your watch. Okay, now I'm a guy that looks at his watch 70,000 times a day. Don't look at your watch. If you're on a schedule, position yourself in a place. Every hospital room, every care room has a clock like that. Position yourself in a way where you can occasionally glance up and see what time it is. Okay, now I'm going to teach you to do something that you will never have to do, but Larry's probably had to do. What if you forget their name? You remember, Larry, what to do if you forget their name? This is just if you're seeing somebody that you, you aren't acquainted with that's not your care receiver. There you look at the wristbands, right. How many times have you, during prayer, opened one eye and looked at the wristband <laughs> so you knew who to pray for? I caught him. See him smiling? I caught him. All right. It, it's one of those things where I can say, you know what? I know that really hurts. I know that nobody ought to be treated that way. Okay? I can, yeah. I, that's part of being empathetic. Yeah. Without being critical, specifically. Well, if I were you, I would. See, that's advice given. Okay? Is this helping any? Okay? Yes. Make it personal, you know. And realize it's not going to be ideally conducive for a care, for a Stephen ministry connection because you've got other people in the room. But you're in a kind of captive environment. Okay, that brings up another issue. How am I going to dress? I just got it, you know, I know you're there, but I just got finished mowing the grass. Um, um, am I going to be in my cargo shorts and my, in my sweaty T-shirt to go up there? Probably not. That's not real medical, medically good anyway. But secondly, I just, you don't have to wear dress like this. But just what I tell students is dress like you belong there. If you act and dress like you belong there, they'll probably treat you like you belong there. And a name tag might help. That's why I say don't to sit down rather than towering over you. There's not as much of that semi-private stuff as there used to be, but there's still some, especially if it's pre-op, post-op, you know, other people around. I think I'd... I, honestly, Marty, I don't know what the team is going to say about this. I would wear it anyway. It gives you an access that you wouldn't otherwise have.
okay? And I want all that advantage I can get. Remember me, all I had was a 50-pound family Bible to take with me, so, okay. Yes, well, you, I miss, okay, yeah. I, I think you, you know, I know there's a risk there, but this is a different environment. And, um, and you know, it's likely going to be you and some medical professional like a nurse and, um, and your care receiver, so, yeah. I have an older friend who's been at this a long time. <laughs> in order to get access, he had, a, he had a stethoscope he kept in his car, and he'd throw it around his neck when he walked in the... <laughs> Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. But I need to act like I belong there. Uh, I have argued my way into lots of rooms with medical professionals who are saying, what are you doing here? You know what? They're going to want me to be here. Um, I did that, by the way, in the middle of the night one night, and that didn't go very well. But let me tell you what, and I'll close with this. In the last 90 days, I have seen your footprint everywhere. I have seen the reason you do what you do and the training that we've done, what it's for. So, I, I love that, Ann, because you're right. Some people who know about this are going to welcome you there, and your care receiver certainly will, okay? Let me pray for us, okay? Lord Jesus, thank you for this evening. Thank you for all of these things that you're teaching us. Lord, I pray that you would use us as vessels of grace and care. We just want to be used by you. So we pray that you would use some of these things we've talked about to kind of raise our awareness of how we might help in these real crisis situations. Thank you for all these who are committed to doing above and beyond. I pray that you bless them and lead them. In Jesus' name I pray.